Hi, this is James Gray, and welcome to the James Gray Podcast. I'm really excited uh, to welcome Abhishek Kumar, um, actually a former classmate uh, at, at Berkeley. Uh, so great to see you, Abhishek. Uh, I'll give you a short uh, overview uh, of, of, of Abhishek. Abhishek is currently leading the AI and data science practice at Publicis Sapien as Director of Data Science. He leads engagements for numerous Fortune 500 companies on data and AI strategy and large-scale implementation for areas in recommendation engines, anomaly detection, optimization, and recently in generative AI. He holds a master's degree from the University of California, Berkeley, and is a recipient of the prestigious Hal Varian Award. He is also recognized as Google Developer Expert ML and is featured in the top 40 under 40 data scientist list. He has authored several popular data science courses and has delivered talks at global data and AI conferences. He's also a learning facilitator instructor at Berkeley Haas Executive Education focused focusing on the future of technology. Abhishek, it's really great to see awesome. you again. Same here, James. Yeah, it really is. And I know recently um, you did a, a talk, uh, a, a presentation, um, at the Data Hack uh, Summit uh, around LLM Ops. And obviously that is a, a really important capability to be able to bring, right, these powerful LLMs to production and create value. So I'd love to be able to, to dig in a little bit and, and talk about some of the patterns, some of the things that you're seeing, right, as a consultant and, and really kind of share some of the best practices that you've learned, right, as a, as a practitioner. Sure. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So good. So let's first start, right? Like maybe kind of describe what you mean by LLM ops. Yeah. Sometimes it can be a mouthful, but yes. Uh, so uh, if you look at um, any of the GenAI applications, right? So there are a bunch of moving pieces. So you have your interfaces, uh, whether you're probably building a web app or you're building a mobile app, or you might have other subsystems also integrating with your systems. Um, and then you have your LLM framework orchestration layers. Uh, nowadays, there are a bunch of popular frameworks out there. One of my favorite is Langchain. Um, and then you have tools and agents. Uh, and then as an organization, you may have different kinds of data sources and connectors for that. And then the large language models themselves. Um, and that means is you might also have your infrastructure underlying all of your solution. So long story short, you have so many moving pieces and LLM ops essentially focuses on operationalizing these LLMs as well as those related components into this broader ecosystem. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. Right. And, you know, a lot of us were familiar with uh, some of the more traditional, right. Machine learning ops uh, infrastructures. And it's kind of, as you said, taking that to the next level adding in these uh, LLM capabilities. And um, I, I remember seeing in your talk about, right, that 87% of AI projects never make it into production, which is incredible when you really think about, um, right, the value that's on the table uh, with some of these applications. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I think uh, that's true, right? And in fact, uh, like um, M I, MLOps is one of my favorite topics, right? So, um, in fact, before LMOps came, right, I used to give talks on MLOps, right? Right. Um, and, and the reason being is, um, as you can see, do, doing uh, POCs and small scale solutions is fine, but as you move into a production and large scale systems, 
there are a lot of cons considerations that you have to make and hence MLOps uh, field originated, right? And uh, organizations, they were able to use MLOps to take all of their ML solutions. Uh, they were actually were better, right? And in the success rate were much, much higher. While we can debate on that 87% failure rate, it's <laughs> absolutely fine, right? But the idea was that it's it's a complex journey, right? And then if you extrapolate that to LLM ops, uh, I would say this is still broader MLOps spectrum, but in a way it is also a bit different uh, from a traditional MLOps, right? So um, because, and if you see, for example, let's say your compute power spectrum. Uh, so um, in, a, in a traditional ML world, uh, more often than not, you might have a raw data set and you start building and training your model. And based on how much, how big the data is or how complicated your models are, right? You might use maybe one or two machines, maybe even GPUs if needed. Um, and here, uh, the, the reason I mentioned Spectrum is, is on one side, you have these APIs which are available through uh, Azure OpenAI and the OpenAIs, and all you have to do is just go ahead and start using it. So there is no training as such, so you might not need a heavy compute machines to start building those GenAI applications. And on other end of the spectrum, if you are actually fine-tuning these models and doing all sorts of things, that means you require massive GPUs right. and all of those infrastructures. It's, it's a costly. So it's, it's, that's the reason I talked about spectrum. Uh, the other difference I would say that your traditional machine learning is building from scratch and then obviously transfer learning came that enabled bunch of deep learning use cases. But in an LM world now, I think 99% of the cases, it would be transfer learning. So you have to rely on some of these foundational models. Right. Um, and then if you go into traditional machine learning world, uh, you would use certain kind of a model evaluation metric like accuracy and precision and recall, which might not be here right as one-on-one as -on -one because you have to look at hey, how the models are honest and truthful, right? And sure. some of these could be even vague. And then that means is human feedback becomes very, very critical when you're dealing with large language models. And then you have newer constructs that got in when the, the Gen AI movement started to happen. For example, we started to talk about agents and chains and prompt engineering. So all in all, there are certain commonalities, but there are a lot of differences as well. And hence the reason I say LLMOps, it deserves separate efforts, separate ecosystem and tooling, which is obviously sure. what we are seeing that many organizations and toolings are evolving to that, but yes. Yeah, yeah. And what are some of the, um, as you said, you know, kind of extending that, um, right, some of these patterns, what are some of the, the new components that um, would be, yeah, some of the new machinery in a, in a typical LLM type deployment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, if you look at the different patterns, uh, I would say there are four or five key patterns, right? And you can group them into four or five key patterns. Uh, the first pattern would be is, hey, uh, I would like to train the entire foundational model from scratch, right? Which would be, I'm guessing, I don't know, maybe only a few <laughs> handful of the organizations would be able sure. to do that because of the cost and the effort and the time involved. Uh, so that means is most likely many of the 99.99% of the organization would use some of the foundational models which are already out there. And one of the common pattern is that, hey, I have these base commercial models which are already available as APIs. Um, and you just start to use it and it's good, right? And there are obviously, it's easy to start. There is, you don't have to worry about all of the infrastructure management um, and the cost could also be low based on the usage. 
Um, and it works on many use cases, right? And there are a lot of customizations and people are building awesome applications, which are already out there. And every time I open my LinkedIn, I see a one newer application coming, right? Um, so, so we have different options in those uh, base commercial models, which are available as APIs. Uh, but then still there are certain uh, tuning knobs, right? For example, you still have to do your prompt engineering. You have in-context learning. You have a bunch of different inference parameters to play with. Uh, you still bring in a lot of chains and combining different powers together. So from an LM ops perspective, uh, the additional thinking that you have to bring is that the prompt management. Uh, how do mm -hmm. we make sure that you are bringing the right prompt in, whether it is effective or not? You might have to trace the, the entire chain. Uh, you have to look at what's the latency at the different stages. Uh, what's the token? Because now there is a cost element as well. So how many tokens are you consuming? All of that. Uh, so And there are tooling which is also evolving right, for this pattern. So uh, we are seeing the erstwhile MLOps world right, where weights and biases and MLflow and now recently Lang's, Langchain has also released Langsmith. Right? So there are right. tooling which is definitely getting involved. right? So this is like one of the pattern, but then yeah. you have other patterns. For example, organizations who are more concerned about data security, that there's no way the data can move out of their organizational boundaries yeah. uh, because it is too sensitive and you want to keep everything into your control and there are geo boundaries needed, right? Uh, or there is a customization to be done. You want to take all of your SLAs within your uh, control. Uh, or there is a cost concern because you're using these APIs, which could be too costly over the time. Uh, so how do you bring in those better ROIs? Uh, so in that case, you would like to use maybe the open source world. Um, and then there are a lot of model weights which are available, like you would see on Hugging Face and others, uh, which you can probably bring that into your own infrastructural boundaries uh, sure. and then deploy that. Uh, so from an LLM ops perspective, you have to think through, okay, now I've got these weights, how do I deploy it? Um, and how do we make it efficient? That means you have to look into considerations around latency and a throughput. Uh, how do you parallelize these things? How do you leverage multiple GPUs? How do you batch your incoming request? And there are a lot of innovation happening. Uh, like people are talking about model quantization, essentially reducing the footprint of your model sizes. Um, so that's your, I guess, the, the second pattern. The, yeah. Third, third pattern. And, uh, and would, let me ask you, yeah. let me yeah, just sure. jump in here for, you know, and I know you're, you, you're in the consulting area, right? In your work, mm -hmm. what are you seeing so far with some of your customers, right? Because one of the things that you just said, right, in the second pattern around, yep. right, um, leveraging, right, an open source models, right? And, and yep. right, if you look at these leaderboards, right, on, on Hugging Face, right, they're, right, they're increasing every single day, right? Um, and I would imagine with some of your customers, right, they are very concerned about, right, some of this data and intellectual property, right, as you said, kind of escaping the bounds. But, like, what are you seeing so far in your customers, with your customers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think very fair point, right? In fact, if you see as a as a consulting firm, right, we do work across multiple industry verticals, um, and certain uh, industries, especially like financial services and healthcare, they are, I would say, probably they are taking probably two steps, right, uh, very slowly and cautiously, um, and data becomes very uh, like these highly regulated things, right? And you need to make sure that before you start jumping into the GenAI bandwagon and everything is taken care of. And the open source ecosystem and the, these models have slow, surely bring a lot of like, potential 
to solve some of these key challenges and they are now looking at how do we leverage these power within their own ecosystem so lot of uh, use cases we are seeing uh, when how do you deploy you these open source models within your organizational boundary because i have my data asset which cannot go over the wire outside my right. premise right uh, so we are definitely seeing uh, in highly regulated industries and clients uh, they are slowly definitely moving towards the open source ecosystem got it okay yeah so i mean i think like you said um, that's that's the, the second pattern and i i know you're about to talk go go to kind of the third pattern um, but I'll, I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, sure. And, and, and you see that probably these open source models and like you mentioned, right, the, the gap between, uh, these commercial models and the open source models are bridging really, really rapidly. Right. Uh, in fact, when the Llama 2 came and they are claiming that, okay, you know what, they are as good as GPT-3 and 4, right? So, uh, which is good thing, right? Which is good thing for the community, for the industry. But what would also happen is that while these open source models are great uh, in all likelihood many of the use case might still require fine tuning these models for specific context for task and their domains um, and that is where we are seeing that if you start to fine tune uh, that brings another set of llm ops challenges uh, so for example how do you train your model right because this is not easy thing right there are and you might have to run different experiments so hence you need experiment tracking mechanism um, luckily, obviously, a lot of research is happening is to reduce that time. Uh, so, for example, one of the most uh, the most important uh, development that has happened when this uh, PIFT, right, what you call as parameter efficient fine tuning, it came mm -hmm. that allowed uh, probably people to tune these uh, models, which are like billion parameters, like seven billion, billion, and ten billion, and whatnot, uh, on like say small like bunch of GPUs or even in Google Colab, right? That was right. phenomenal. Um, but then you have to think through how do you prepare your data so that you can fine tune, right? And there are a lot of strategies. People often ask me, how much data would you need, right? Do you need a million or a thousand? Um, and what I have seen here and in, especially with all of the experiments that we are running here is it's, it's not about the quantity. Mostly it is about the quality. Um, in fact, there are papers was there like how less is more, right? How do we make sure mm -hmm. that you have a good quality data that you can use to uh, fine-tune these models but then as you building these different versions and uh, doing all of these experiments you end up with bunch of model versions so that means you have yeah. to look at evaluation frameworks how do you an a b testing and all of those traditional things but now in the realm of large language models so yeah so i would say this is also very very key and this is one of the key pattern what i would recommend like it will i see right 4c is happening a lot um, so, so yeah, so I would say that is definitely there. Um, and then the, I would say the addition of this pattern would be is how do we align with human feedback? Uh, because, uh, we want all of these models to be helpful, harmless, and honest, uh, what you call as a triple H approach. Uh, so hence you have to look at how the different metrics would be there that would, uh, work and how do you benchmark that, whether your models that you're creating is not biased or not spitting out uh toxic results uh, so yeah. how do you collect those feedback human feedback and uh, the reinforcement learning based human feedback and guardrail so there are lot of new lm ops angles are also coming yeah yeah no thanks for sharing that and what are some of the you know tools that you're seeing that um you're either seeing or using that you found to be really helpful like 
I know in the ML, ML world, right, we, you know, tools like MLflow, but there's, right, other ones that have come out to help with both, right, the evaluation of some of these models, as well as, right, kind of protecting the output, um, yeah. as, you, as you said. Yeah, that's true. So I think uh, definitely there's a lot of uh, newer components, both in the open source world, uh, a lot of frameworks are coming, and obviously a lot of proprietary framework, they are bringing their own ecosystem and evolving just to make sure that uh, they can build these large scale uh, LM solutions. Uh, so for example, uh, if you're thinking about like programmatic guardrails, uh, we are seeing some interesting ones uh, like guardrails AI and Microsoft release, Microsoft guidance. Um, and then right. you have um, uh, NVIDIA, Nemo has like Nemo guardrails. So there are a lot of guardrail specific toolings are coming. Uh, then, uh, obviously, for our entire prompt tracking, we talked about weights and biases, which is a very popular name, right, in the MLOps world. Uh, they are bringing all of the entire suit of uh, flavors, right, uh, to solve some of these LMOps challenges. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's a very evolving ecosystem, I would say. Yeah, no, I know. It changes every single day, right? Um, and, and at a high level, right? You, we talked about the, these four patterns, and obviously there's... Right, different considerations that go into which pattern. Um, you know, there's right, there's the data privacy pieces, there's yeah. the cost piece, right, which is a big consideration. There's the right, the the, the performance aspect of what the user experience is going to look like, right? So it's not just kind of one one kind of knob, right? There's many things that go into right some of the considerations around. Um, what might be the best approach? Anything that you might want to add to that to that list? Um, so, so I think from the challenges perspective, I would say that building POCs nowadays is also relatively easy. The way it was there in the traditional ML world as well, you had all these packages like scikit-learn and all. People were right. writing a couple of lines of code and they thought, okay, it's done, right? But it was not straightforward. Uh, so I think operationalization of these large language models are still going to be the key. Uh, so how do we pick the right pattern that would suit uh, the organizational goals um, and also at which like which base model to even pick, right? Which pattern yeah. would vary with which use case. And some of these would be like easier to pull off while others might require building additional components into their architecture and enterprise architecture ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. And what are, um, you know, you mentioned like there's so many different models that are out there, right? Um, like on a hugging face, right? So it's, it's amazing. How many there are there available, right, to pick from? Um, kind of, what are some of the things that goes through your mind where you might be kind of advising your clients around, right, some of those considerations? So I think a lot of things like we already talked about, right. For example, whether you want to go for these commercial models, like which are provide provided as APIs, and that might be sufficient for many many use cases, right. In fact, I would say like eighty percent of the use cases you will be able to solve until unless there are considerations around security and a data yeah. link. Um, and if you, so that means is you have an option from uh, Azure has Azure OpenAI and there are a bunch of variations. So you have a GPT 3.5 and then you have a four. Uh, Google has released like uh, the entire set of uh, Palm models. Um, AWS yeah. is coming. Anthropic has released Cloud, now Cloud 2. So, Cloud two. so, so many, yes, with 100K, I don't know, context window. It's context windows, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. It's like crazy, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, so, so you have those models. And then the, in the open source world, obviously with 
uh, Llama 2 coming in and then other organizations are also pushing these open source models, which are really great. So I think it is going to be a lot of experimentation at the end of the day uh, based on what is needed for your setup, for your use case, I would rather say. Right? Yeah. Some use cases might require customization while others would be just put off the shelf and it will work. Yeah. And, it, you know, your your point about 80% might be, you know, like that's um, that's a pretty high number, right? If you think about, uh, right, being able to leverage, right, um, these uh, these APIs. And as you said, one of the considerations is, right, kind of time to market, right, as well yes. as all of the expertise that you might need, as well as infrastructure, um, and the ability to write prototype something, test it, experiment with it, you know, one of the trade-offs is is time, right? Both yes. you know, kind of learning as well as the value that may actually come from right deploying one of these uh, these, these apps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any other type of challenges that you've seen with your customers that is worth kind of calling out? I'm sure there's right. Every customer is unique, but any other yeah. things that come to mind? Uh, I think uh, beyond the core models and the peripheral items. Uh, so example, some of the key uh, use cases where we are seeing is around how do we use my own enterprise data yeah. and then probably slap the layer on the large language models, very common use case. Um, and many a times organizations are thinking that, okay, how do we build a robust pipeline to bring all of the different data assets that they have within their own ecosystem. And that is in different forms, right? And some are like available in those uh, data lakes and all of that. And then a lot of unstructured data scattered across uh, the different silos. Uh, right. So I think bringing those and having a robust strategy is also a key, key thing, right? Otherwise yeah. it will be very tough, difficult to pull all of these two things together. Yeah, yeah, no, and I totally agree with that, right? Um, the fact that right these models are available right um, I think you and I know some of the differentiation is in the data right that these organizations have and bringing that to bear um, being able to right leverage that being able to leverage right the, these vector databases right oh, yeah. to be able to kind of organize right this 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 kind of special sauce that allows some of the uniqueness of the the company to to come out right so i think as you're pointing out there there's the modeling piece right there's the llms piece but we need to also think uh you know broader around kind of the data strategy that's going to be there to support um right how do you how do you really leverage embedding models how do you leverage these these, these vector databases to be able to right fine tune these models yeah, absolutely. Right. And definitely the, even the ethical considerations, right. Because, and a bias is all of these, because we know that there are limitations of these large language models and people are talking about hallucination effects and everything. Yeah. So that means is if we really want to put these things into production, we need to make sure that we have enough guardrails to make sure that it is not going haywire because one lawsuit, right. And suddenly all of yeah. those things will, will go for a toss. Yeah, no, I think that's really a, an important point, right? And I'm sure you're seeing it with your customers, right? Um, uh, with kind of the evaluation of risk, right? right. Um, what are, what are some of the potential things that could happen as a result of, right? Um, 
you know, using these model outputs to make decisions or perhaps being a part of, right, automated processes that might deliver, right, the, the wrong result to a customer or an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything you might want to add to that? Yeah, so I think uh, you rightly said, right? I think these um, uh, guardrails and all these ethical considerations are uh, really the key. Um, also, what the other probably interesting thing they are seeing is organizations are looking at how the responses can be tuned based on their brand tones. Uh, because mm. in a response, especially if it is a consumer-facing applications, they want to make sure that whatever the organization's core values, those are probably yeah. are putting forward, right? Rather than something which is they don't want to push. Uh, so, uh, so modulating the responses of these large language models is also becoming a key, key considerations. And that's where you're bringing the folks from your product and legal and other teams, um, uh, like who are the brand communicators, right? Everybody is coming together. And the good thing is because the the barrier of entry is kind of uh, reduced and because everybody can contribute now because all you have to come up with, hey, what is the right prompt which can essentially elevate your organization's brand and you can tweak it right based on individuals that you are reaching out to. So yeah. these are definitely some of these additional ones that are coming. Yeah, no, I think that's a great great point, right? This this world that we're in, right? It It is a team sport, right? It's just not the... The, the technologists kind of um, right in the back, uh, creating these in a vacuum, right? It does require, right, all different parts of the organization to adopt these, right? And I love the point that you just brought out around kind of the brand tone piece, right? That it's just not text that's being kind of spewed out, right? It, it needs to be harmonized with the values of the organization. And um, right, certainly with some of these applications that actually uh, talk to you, right, like the Pi uh, personal intelligence application, right, just thinking through, right, the fact that there's a certain tone, there are certain words, right, there are certain keywords that need to be there, right, that may certainly influence the, the customer experience. So thanks for sharing that. I think that's a, that's a great call out. Awesome. Um, and so one of the other areas, right, that I'm, I'm intrigued, intrigued by, um, you know, my last job was a, was a CIO, right? And we manage all of this infrastructure. We've got all these, right, really things to look after. And so what are some of the things that you're seeing, like, from a enterprise architecture perspective, right, and the evolution of maybe more traditional type enterprise architectures, in this era of, of levering, leveraging LMs, what, what are some of the things that you're seeing? Yeah, so I think um, there are, uh, I'll say probably a lot of things which are changed as well as a lot of existing components are now re getting repurposed. Uh, so for example, you mentioned about vector databases, right? So obviously your traditional databases, if people felt that might not be sufficient enough for the use cases uh, from the large language models and storing the embeddings and hence, this entire vector database world evolved, right? And so many new players coming in. And we are seeing some of the old players, they are trying to revamp their existing solution stack to say, you know what, now even we do support the vector databases and embeddings. So that's one, right? Uh, then from an architecture point of view, 
people are thinking, hey, now we need to build these agents and maybe a bunch of them because for different tasks and different use cases. So how do you build an agent store to say, right? Uh, so that means is all of your agent store, metadata, discovery, all of those ingredients would come. Uh, then if you're building uh, applications that requires integration with your backend systems and an API, so how you build those tools and uh, create a repository for that. Um, then caching systems are also evolving because now you're dealing with tokens and hence there is a cost element to it. Uh, so people are thinking, how do you put a caching layer in between uh, so that we can know that oh, this is a similar question. We don't have to go and hit an API. Can we just generate the response directly from your caching layer? Uh, then you have different kind of an orchestration frameworks coming, like we talked about Langchain and there are other frameworks there. Um, and then organizations are also building playgrounds because it is an evolving field and they want to give uh, this power right to many and many people within your organization. So how do we make sure that in your enterprise architecture, there is also a place for creating these uh, secure, well-governed playgrounds? Um, and then you obviously, like we talked about, we don't have one model. You may have you want to support different kinds of models, right? Whether it's a cloud providers or uh, the likes of the Anthropics and the likes of Hugging Face um, and the additional layers like human feedback, right? So how do you make sure that your enterprise architecture is geared towards bringing those uh, feedback, right? So, and how do you collect them? How do you have a feedback loop? Uh, how do you obviously put the validation on a guardrails layer? So. Long story short, you have so many additional pieces as you start to think about a large-scale enterprise solutions, they want to leverage GenAI and large language models. Yeah, no, it's fascinating, right? Um, because even, even before GenAI, right, the IT infrastructure, at least my experience, right, can be really complicated, right? Generally, multiple clouds, You've got SaaS applications, you've got custom applications that you've built inside the company, certainly keeping track of all, all of that, the, um, right, the performance, the uptime, as well as securing all the data that's in those applications. And this just really takes it to right, a, another level. Um, I, I like the, you know, the, the, the point you were talking about, the, the playgrounds, right? And the fact that this is a team sport, right? And we need to be able to uh, have the organization to embrace these technologies, being able to learn and experiment, find out what works and not, but in kind of, like you said, kind of a, a, safe, a safe place to be able to uh, allow right, that experimentation to happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Yeah. Um, and so, right, this, uh, this area... There's, there's, there's lots of skills that need to, right. Depending upon your role. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And a lot of the people who've come in, you know, from the, the data science, uh, MLOps world, certainly, right. There's a lot of things that they can leverage to be effective in this area around either, you know, that the full life cycle, right. Around kind of the, 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 the building all the way to kind of testing into production as well as right. Any, any human. Uh, feedback around that. Um, what are some of the perhaps new skills that that you see for people in the space that they're going to need to be successful? 
Yeah, so I think uh, new skills maybe yes, uh, but the older skills are still equally important. And for example, yeah. you have to be a good like software engineer first, right? Before you build any other application. So all of those principles for building robust applications and solutions still apply. Uh, yes, ML engineers, uh, maybe the cloud DevOps skills would be needed if you're bringing these ecosystems. Uh, but like we talked earlier, right, there is a lot of other skills which are sitting in the periphery, right? So people who are coming from the legal background and they can help you with, hey, if you are going to use GenAI and large language models, what are the implications, right? And we heard about the copyright issues and laws mm -hmm. are still not there, right? So, uh, and then there are pockets like with certain geos where uh, they are blocking certain kind of uh, usage of GenAI. Uh, then what do you do in those mechanisms, right? And then your product owners, because for them also, it's everything new. So uh, so the product folks and the product mindset is still there, but they need to also be aware about all of these nuances, the pits and falls, what is the going to be consideration. Uh, so like, for example, uh, in our organization, we follow this notion of speed, which is uh, strategy, product, engineering experience, and data and AI. Uh, so, and the idea is that how do we bring, and if we take them like individual fingers, if everything it has to be successful, you have to bring all those capabilities together, right? To make the fist. Mm. So, uh, so that means is you need people probably if not you as a, like, and as an individual, but within the team, people who are, can bring in that strategy angle, people who understand the product and what are the different things, right? Engineering is surely there, but how do you build the right experience? Uh, whether that is matching to your customer expectations. Um, and then obviously your data and AI, which is data engineers and ML engineers. So I guess a lot of skills we are talking about. Abhishek, I really like what you said around, right? The fact that there are uh, kind of a, a collection of skills that are really required um, to really bring, uh, right? These applications into production and, and get create some really important value from them. And my experience is like, it does take a little bit of time, right? To get this collection of people together, um, right? Because they all have a stake ultimately in that experience, in that product, in that service. Um, and certainly when you've, you've got the legal aspect, they're going to ask a lot of questions and you got to need to kind of go through all those gates so that, uh, you know, you're confident that you're doing, you've, you've got a, a, a really secure application that you've, considered right kind of these these biases and these ethical considerations that you've also um, considered what, what is the product and the customer experience need to be so I, I like that kind of key point kind of key point that um, if you're leading one of these right efforts really being thoughtful about right all the different stakeholders in the organization and really identifying them up front so that they can be a part of that that journey absolutely absolutely. Yeah. And so perhaps we can um, kind of segue into, you know, what are some of the, you obviously work with lots of different companies. You're a huge, huge company. Um, you've, you've been out there uh, obviously working uh, with various industries. Like what are some of the trends that you're seeing either now or and what are some of the things that you might kind of expect or perhaps project out over the next three to six months? Yeah. Uh, good that you asked about three to six months, right? <laughs> because it would be really hard because I highly doubt I'll be able to project what's happening yeah. in probably two weeks, right? So the way the everything is moving so rapidly, right? Which is, uh, but I think what we are seeing uh, fundamentally on the ground is there's a lot of traction and excitement everywhere. 
um, across the industries, even though there are some of those um, clients and industries are a bit skeptical, but they, they want, right? They want to see how they can leverage GenAI for their own uh, use cases. And there is a big rush happening to gain that competitive edge. Um, and in some cases, even to stay relevant, right? Because when they saw yeah. the likes of the Google's probably pushed to the corner, every organization is just running it to make sure that they have the right moat um, to, and especially with GenAI, right? They want to get that early moving movers advantage. Um, and uh, it's also part of the broader digital business transformation, what I see, right? So it's like GenAI is, is, is enabling that transformation much, much rapidly now. Um, and um, now what I am seeing is instead of a push conversation from our side, especially being mm. a consulting, now it has turned into a pull conversation because, hey, everybody is looking for how can we bring GenAI to my organization? How do we contextualize the, all of these power uh, within my organization's realm and a context and a use cases? Now, yeah. if I have to probably put these opportunities into a few buckets, the, the, I guess the biggest of them is that Hey, I do have a lot of organizational data assets. How do we use large language models and Gen AI to maybe surface content on demand, uh, convert that into a conversational interfaces, essentially bringing that truly nonlinear journey that we always aspired um, and, or maybe agent powered workflows, right? And because they have a very complex business ecosystem and value flowing. Uh, so how do you use agents and large language models to do that? Uh, but the other big bracket is also seeing is how do we see the across the product life cycle or development life cycle, the value creation and what are the opportunities from these generative AI and large language models, right from your concept and define phase, how do you identify great ideas, uh, designing these solutions, uh, because we are seeing examples yeah. around uh, these large language models spitting out all of those design ideas, right? Um, and then obviously around uh, building these solutions and the testing, deployment, and even support. So all in all, there are a lot of interesting opportunities everywhere. Um, I guess um, the idea is that how do we uh, prioritize these use cases? Um, and obviously from an effort and value perspective, that is going to be the key. Um, and that is a lot of effort that uh, at least my job is, right, to help our clients in terms of understanding this landscape and art of possibilities, but also shift through different things to tell them, hey, you know what, here is what you should be starting. Uh, so I guess from that's from a client's opportunity. If I see from a large language models ecosystem, uh, the trends are also slightly shifting. Uh, so initially we talked about uh, the bigger and bigger models, right? Can we build, I don't know, 7 billion and 10 billion and then trillion parameters models, right? So that was initially happening. But now we are seeing quite slightly reverse trend also running in parallel, which is how do you build even smaller footprint models? Because you may want to run it probably even on your own ecosystem. Uh, people are also sure. talking about deploying these into potentially even on the mobile phones, because that will allow all of the data privacy challenges to be solved, right? So, uh, and very task specific models. So instead of a model that can do everything in the world, rather than focusing on exactly the use cases that organization is looking for. Uh, so all of those fine-tuned tasks specific, even the smaller footprint models is also gaining a lot of traction. Yeah, and I, I love that. What, I love that you just mentioned that, right? Because I'm seeing that as well, right? And right, every, I think there was the, um, right? There was, everybody was being enamored with like big is, big, big is better, right? And in the fact that, right, there's these considerations around, right, um, 
you know, how, how can we really kind of deliver something, um, you know, do it within, uh, you know, cost is certainly always a consideration, but as you said, right, some of the security aspects of, of that performance aspects, right. We're seeing like, right. Some of these kind of in-memory type, um, right. Databases and so forth that, um, can really be, as you said, really fine tuned to these specific use cases. Yep. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I like the other thing you mentioned too about right, prioritization, right? Because there's so many things that can be done. So what are some of the, the, the kind of the considerations that you, you may be guiding a, one of your clients around kind of use case prioritization? I'm just kind of curious how you might go through guiding a customer through making some of those choices or perhaps a framework to do that. Yeah, so I think it's it's essentially about looking into the the value pools and the entire network of that value generation within the organization, uh, identifying where is the most friction, um, as well as the opportunities where it can be easily plugged in. Uh, because some of these use cases, like customer support, these are I would say recommend like it's like relatively easier to solve and take a like crack at. Uh, while some of the use cases, which is, hey, I want to take my entire you know, supply chain processes and I want to revamp <laughs> it, might not be that straightforward, right? Because there are a lot of nuances and uh, it has to follow certain steps and guidance and all of that, yeah. right? Uh, so there would be certain use cases which would be easy to kick off. And uh, what we're also seeing is how do we create a snowball effect for our clients? Because as they see one or two success stories, uh, within their organization that essentially inspire the rest of the organization and business functions to say, you know what, yeah, they have done it. Uh, they have created a, like a blueprint that I can simply yeah. go and start to execute. Uh, so I think all of the leaders uh, across the CSU board, right, they are looking for those success stories uh, that yeah. can create that snowball effect within their own organization. So, um, so creating that value map and doing that effort value uh, prioritization is, is surely a, a key aspect. Yeah. And the, the win, getting a win, right. Even if it's a small win is in, is important for right, gaining the credibility for kind of additional sponsorship. And, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing that's important as well, I mean, I love the technology, as you know, I'm a tech, technology person, but, um, right the leaders, right, need to be there to lead the change in the organization, right? Because it's not all, we all know it's not all about the technology, right? Yes. There's the transformation of the, the culture and these processes um, and really kind of reshaping how, um, right, people inside the company really embrace these technologies and use them in a new way, right? Because fundamentally, right, a lot of their jobs are going to, to change. Yes. Right, and the ability to go through that change management becomes really important around how do we reskill people. But there's also going to be cases, right, where we need to bring in new talent, right, who can uh, really leverage that technology as well. Absolutely, and and if you just remove the the Genii portion, right, from the discussion, you'll find that no matter it's a standard like transformational journey, right, the change yeah. that Genii has probably brought in that. Now the time that you had earlier in a traditional transformation, you may have yeah. probably a good leeway. Now it's not, right? So that means is you have to do all of that in a super accelerated fashion because yeah. very soon probably an organization, the teams can become completely irrelevant. 
so i think that's the yeah. the bigger bigger challenge right out there because yeah no, how I, to do all of these change management quickly yeah no I, i think you're absolutely right right because some companies are being you know either put out of business right or their revenue is being severely impacted and i think certainly that that sense of urgency is a key consideration uh right and and certainly you know i've been out there 30 something years running <laughs> i've never seen something as as you said as every day right there there's something new there's a certain capability um and lots of value certainly to be created through this um and so just kind of that acceleration is is just phenomenal every single day yeah um well good so i know we we've talked about a whole bunch of different things we've talked about right some of these um these some of these different patterns some of these considerations around skills um is there anything you might anything else you might want to kind of leave people to either kind of think about whether these are right people who are starting out whether these are right organizations uh who are either thinking about right deploying applications it could be you know anything you think would be helpful kind of to, to kind of share with people given kind of your experience and some of the things you've learned over the last many months yeah sure i think uh, well what i what we see is that large language models or genia in general are genuinely game changing right but taming them and customizing them for your business and humanity at large right is is very important yeah. uh, it is going to be a bumpy ride um, but i guess no greatness comes easy right so <laughs> and lm ops is i would say is going to be a key ally right in this journey if you really want to leverage the true potential so i would highly encourage probably professionals who are getting into this field or planning to get into this field or in organizations to put these uh, mechanisms in place right away right um because starting with the right foundation is key for the success yeah and maybe just to double click on the foundation piece anything particular um that that you might want to call out that either we've talked about or haven't talked yeah. about so i think the the foundation i would say both from a technology and we talked about lot of technology foundation and enterprise yeah. architecture components but like you said earlier about that change management bringing the different skills together making sure that everybody has a say um and then bringing everything together in that cohesive fashion is that the right foundation because and okay. knowing that where it works but also understand where what are the limitations because if you see the uh, hype cycle right we are we went into the hype we went down very rapidly but now people are realizing that yes there are there are certain limitations but there are a lot of opportunities so we are on that slope of enlightenment um, and the faster <laughs> that we are able to move there right it is going to right help. yeah no and right it's I think part of it is right being in a culture being in an environment where you can experiment right because you don't know what you don't know yes. right so I think these organizations who really embrace right agility they embrace right uh the these agile practices they embrace learning not everything is going to work right yes absolutely um and that's right that's part of the ride right for being able to explore and be able to to leverage right some of these technologies in in really new ways in new creative ways right um right it's the technology but having people really think about what are new ways to leverage this uh, these these different technologies right it does kind of create a, it does require kind of 
kind of a, a creative mindset to be able to do that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I can't tell you bro, how many battle scars that I have already got or my team has got, right? Uh, but like, I think you very apt point around that experiment and fail fast mindset, uh, because I, but what we have learned is that now we know that what are the hundred ways the things will not work, right? Uh, because we have gone mm. through that journey. Um, and if you obviously, if you go and participate in these, like the podcast and the conferences, you see, okay, yeah. what, you know, what, what, what works, but I think it's also important for organizations and teams to also understand and go through that journey, with themselves. Uh, maybe in a more rapid way, uh, because they yeah. will know that, okay, what are things that will not work? Yeah. And I would imagine your customers, right? You're in from a consulting, they probably, they're going to take some of the journey, but they probably want to know like, Hey, Abhishek, tell me all the things that are not going to work so that I don't have to kind of go down that route and kind of learn myself or waste time yes. and energy and expertise to do that. Is that, is that the case or? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the reason what we do is, uh, even though probably we are as a part of a consulting firm, we build a lot of accelerators. Uh, so the okay. idea of bringing these accelerators essentially is to put all of those best practices and learnings into something which is tangible, which could be reused by our clients so that they don't have to go through the same journey and the battle yeah. scars that we have gone through. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's what we have been investing heavily. Okay. And I mean, I'd imagine those are probably vertically specific or use case specific, these accelerators or? So I think we are creating both. Uh, one is we are bringing something which is a domain agnostic, which is like fundamental capabilities. Uh, because yeah. if you see, but then we are also, we also recognize that every industries and a use case will have their own nuances. So we are building layers, especially for those also. It's, it's a mix of an horizontal as well as verticals. Got it. Oh, great. Well, Abhishek, it's been really great to um, chat with you on LLM Ops. Uh, it's certainly an intriguing area. Um, I know you've got tons of expertise in this area. And so for people who want to find you, what's the best way to, to reach out and connect? I'm assuming it's LinkedIn or... Yes, I, I would recommend definitely LinkedIn. And probably if somebody just add a note to it, that would be helpful so that I don't miss them. Okay. Okay, great. Well, I'll certainly share the link uh, to your LinkedIn profile uh, in, in the show notes. And I really appreciate you taking a little time to share your expertise and perhaps uh, we can do it again uh, because I, I'm sure there's going to be so many things that are going to kind of change in the next six to nine months. And so looking forward to catching back up with you again. Uh, Absolutely. Pleasure is all mine, James, and it's great uh, connecting with you back. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. All right.